Hey there, what's up, Warriors? It is Jeff from WarriorLife.com, and welcome to podcast episode number 359. So back in episode 337, I went over the 10 commandments of concealed carry. Now this week, I have 10 more of my own personal, well, I'm not going to call them commandments, but let's just say that they are Jeff's highly suggested, sometimes unpopular, really, really, really ridiculously good-looking tactics for concealed carry. And here they are. Tactical firearms training, urban survival, close quarters combat. Welcome to the show that helps you better prepare for any threat you may face in your role as a protector and a patriot. This is the Warrior Life Podcast. Hey there, welcome back everybody. This is Jeff Anderson, Executive Director of WarriorLife.com. Okay, so back in 337, the 10 commandments I gave really were commandments. That if you carry a concealed handgun for self-protection, you can't not, to use a double negative, you can't not follow those rules that I gave back in episode 337. So go ahead and check those out if you haven't listened to that podcast episode yet. Um, it's not really vanilla stuff. They're just things that you absolutely must follow that I actually see a lot of people not following. So go check out episode 337. This one's a little bit different. I left my personal opinions out of the last one. This one is all about my personal opinions. Now, some of these you are not going to agree with. If I'm talking about handgun selection, of course, everybody has their own personal preferences for handgun selection. Like I said, some of these are not going to be very popular with some people out there. That's fine. That's why they're not commandments. But if you do carry a concealed handgun, or even if you own a gun for home defense, you're going to want to give all of these some strong consideration because I don't make these suggestions lately. All right. All right. Well, hell, let's just go ahead and jump into it then. Okay. So I've got 10 of them here for you. And hey, let's just start off and piss off a bunch of people out there with number one is use a handgun, select a handgun without a manual safety on. In other words, have a handgun with an integrated safety. You don't have to like turn it on when you draw it from the holster. Now I get it. Some people out there, I mean, there's strong opinions on both sides of this. All right. So I totally get this. Now what I'm talking about here, if you I'm try to break this down into a simpler version. So there are handguns that have a manual safety on them. In other words, they are you keep them on safe, and then when you draw the handgun, it will not fire until you manually do something to the handgun. So you're, you're, you're taking it off of safe, and you're putting it into fire mode, okay? As opposed to one with an integrated safety. Now, most oftentimes, this is something that is some safety feature that is in, integrated into the trigger, like on a Glock, where... The only, it's got a, a little lever there that's going to keep the trigger from being pulled back manually until the little mini trigger in the middle of the trigger is pulled back first. And the only way to do that is really to have your finger on that trigger. And so that's the integrated safety there. Now, there are other means of doing this. There are handguns that have a a safety on the back of the grip where you kind of have to, you have to basically squeeze the grip in order to take it off of safe. So there are different ways. And I'm sure in the future, there's going to be other ways, optic nerve reading, biometric crap, whatever. Right. But the point here is that when you draw your handgun for personal defense, it's going to be a, your your heart's going to be in your throat. Your adrenaline, you're going to get that adrenaline dump, and no matter how many times that you may have practiced 
drawing your handgun and taking it off of safe at the same time as you're drawing it. And you can get, you can get super fast with that. The fact is that in a real gunfight, you may not actually be able, you may not take that off safe. And your brain that might even register why the gun is not going off as you're trying to pull the trigger. Uh, all the time, the bad guy is trying to jump down your throat with a machete. So I like to take out any, any sort of um, you know, potential obstacles under the stress of a real attack as I possibly can. It was one of the reasons why I said one of the commandments that I guess it was kind of more personal opinion, but I call it a commandment anyway, is to have a round loaded in the chamber. That way you don't have to rack the slide and put it to chamber around if you are drawing your weapon in personal defense. Again, it's another one of those things that you might forget. Well, the safety is something that's a little bit even more controversial than that. And that's why I like when I pull that thing out, I put my finger on the trigger and I pull it. I want it to go bang. I don't want to have to do any extra work to it. So I get it. I get it. People have different opinions out there. That's my opinion. All right. Number two here is to carry extra magazines with you, or at least an extra magazine. Now, in episode number 342 of our podcast, I talked about two real-life stories where having an extra magazine, having extra ammo on you, would have come in really, really handy for two real stories that are out there. So I'm a big believer in carrying an extra magazine with you. I personally, that's one of the reasons why I am a Glock fanboy is because the magazines are interchangeable. So I can, if I'm carrying a Glock 26 uh, compact, then that normally has 10 rounds that are in the magazine. Uh, if I'm carrying a, my Glock 19 that has 15 rounds, so it's going to give me, it's going to be, it's a larger handgun. So it's going to give me more rounds in the magazine, but I can carry a Glock 17 magazine that is going to carry 17 rounds in it. I can carry that and it's interchangeable in my Glock 26, my Glock 19, or my Glock 17. So what that means is that if I carry my Glock 26 that has 10 rounds in it, and I've got an extra magazine, uh, a, an extra Glock 17 magazine that's got 17 rounds in it, then I'm carrying almost twice as many rounds all in one magazine. So I have to carry two extra Glock 26 round, uh, magazines with me to get 20 extra rounds. For just one Glock 17 magazine, I can carry 17 with me. All right. So it's efficiency. I'm not carrying a bunch of stuff in my pockets. Okay. Tip number three is to carry pepper spray on you. Now, I'm a big fan of pepper spray as an alternative to a handgun. First of all, if all you have is a hammer, everything looks like a nail. So if you do find yourself in a situation where you're feeling threatened and all you have is a handgun on you, you might be tempted to go ahead and draw that handgun because you feel threatened. But it may not be a life or death threat that you're facing. Now, the fact is, the vast majority of people out there will never be in a life or death criminal attack where you're going to need to draw your weapon. But you are much more likely to face like some pissed off bully in the parking lot because you either bumped his car or you took his parking space. Or it could be a group of protesters on the sidewalk that won't let you pass until you give the secret handshake or something. Or it could be a drunk vagrant at the gas station that just won't leave you alone when you say that you don't have any spare change on you, but he's unarmed. These aren't situations where you're just legally allowed 
mostly. I mean, of course, it's a dynamic situation, could be situationally dependent, but most likely these aren't things where you're just going to pull out old Betsy and start blasting. So having some other means to protect yourself that's not your fisticuffs is going to come in really handy. Now, tasers are one thing that I've, I've talked about in the past, and I do like them. Um, but I really like pepper spray the most. It's very, very effective, and you can just spray somebody, and they're going to most likely be out of the count here. Now, I get it. Everybody, you know, people are going to say, well, you can fight through it. It doesn't affect some people. Look, it affects 99% of the people out there. And it is going to give you the opportunity to either, if they, I mean, if they're going to continue to attack you or give you a hard time, then you might have to escalate from there. But it is going to give you the ability potentially to run away. Um, if it's a multiple attacker situation, instead of fighting everybody out there, you can actually just you know, spray a few down and that way you're not fighting everybody or it might give you enough to be able to, to, to break away from that really horrible situation. But you should have something else on you besides just a handgun. All right, uh, number four here is to carry the right kind of knife. Now, most people out there are carrying some kind of knife. That should be kind of a commandment right there. But are you carrying the right kind of knife? Now, what I mean by that is you have to look at the worst case scenario. If you get to a point where you have to, I get it, this is for concealed carry. So wait, if I've got to pull out a knife, that's a, that is a lethal defense weapon. So why would I pull out a knife instead of my gun? Very good point. But you might be in a situation, if it's a close combat assault situation where you are ambushed, you might not be able to get to your gun. For example, if you are dragged down to the ground, you're in a grappling situation and you're carrying an appendix and you've got somebody on top of you, you're not going to be able to get necessarily to, to that gun to be able to draw it out and use it to defend yourself. But you might be able to get to your knife that is located in a pocket that you have. So when you do... Are you going to be able to deploy it in order to be able to use it for personal protection? So a folder, for example, a combat folder, is hard to use when fighting back. You're going to have to get to it. You've got to, if you're trying to wrestle somebody at the same time, you've got to try and get your thumb on that stud. You've got to try to, to get it out there. So you might not be able to take a combat folder and get it in, you know, just whip it out like you normally do if you're opening up boxes. So... I recommend that where it is legal, you actually carry a fixed blade knife for the same reason that you would have no manual safety on your handgun and you would have a round in the chamber. When you pull it out, when you draw it, it's ready to go. Same thing goes with a fixed blade knife. When you get it out, it's already ready to go. You don't have to open it up at all. Um, so where legal, I recommend that you have a fixed blade knife. Also, if you, uh, fixed blades aren't allowed, then maybe an out-the-front knife or an OTF knife where you just push the button and there's a spring assist inside of there and it will pop out the, uh, the front there. Where those are legal, those are, again, where you don't have to rely on – you can rely on the mechanics within the knife itself to be able to deploy the, the blade and you can use it there. Now, barring all of that, I do recommend that you have a flipper folder where – you can get it, preferably assisted, but not necessarily needed. So a flipper folder is one where it has a, basically on both sides of the handle, it will have kind of a, a jagged U-shaped kind of a, a base near the, it's like where the guard is. 
And you can take that and you can use your finger, like you can just basically press down. It's almost like a button. You press down on it and it will pop out. So it'll, it's kind of an assisted way. It's, a, it's an easier way to deploy the folder knife that you have there. Also, if it's done the right way, if it's the right kind of flipper knife, you can take it and you can dig it into your attacker's side. So let's say that they're on top of you and you're grappling with them. You can pull it out. You can, you can actually use their body to open up the knife. You can basically just dig it into their side, dig it on their clothing or dig it on your clothing. And when you pull, it will deploy the blade that way. Okay. But a lot of people have knives. Again, you want to have the right kind of a knife. All right. All right. Tip number five is to have a Bluetooth headset for your phone. Now I'm a big proponent of this. Now I recommend that you have one that goes over your ear so it'll keep it stable, but this is going to allow you to go hands-free when you need to. Now, why would you want to go hands-free in a concealed carry situation? Well, we're talking about really kind of after the fact here. After an incident has happened, you might have to, you, you might need both of your hands. You might be performing, you might need to, uh, you might need to fight after the incident. So maybe somebody comes up and they think that you're the bad guy and they try dragging you down. Well, you might have to, if you're on the phone with 911, you can tell them what's going on. Um, you might have to drive away from the scene. Of, of course, you want to, if it's if you're not sure that you're safe where the attack happened, you might need to drive away. So you're going to want your hands for the steering wheel. I'm not going to want to have to hold a phone, especially if my adrenaline is through the roof. I'm not going to want to have to hold a phone and drive at the same time or hope that my Bluetooth comes on in my vehicle. But most of the time here, this, this is what I'm referring to, is that you might be performing first aid and you still want to stay on the phone with 911 here. And when first responders are coming to your, your location, it could be police, it, could be, it will be police, it will be uh, medical personnel. You want to stay on the phone with them the whole time. They're going to be out there looking for you. Okay, I'm at, they say they're at the parking lot. Where are you located in the parking lot? You're going to want to be able to drive them, guide them in. Tell them to look over to the, uh, I see them. Tell them to look over to the left. I've got my flashlight up and I'm, I'm shining it toward them now. So you can guide them in. But that first aid that you might be performing might be on, maybe it's on your child, your grandchild that was with you. Maybe it's your spouse. Maybe it's yourself. Maybe you can't get up. Maybe you can't stand up to be able to find them. But you might be performing first aid on somebody or yourself at the same time. Again, I, I'm, I don't want to have to rely on the speaker on my phone or something like that. Uh, it could be a very, it could be very noisy in the area. I might not hear them. So that's why I like the Bluetooth speaker that you can, or the Bluetooth headset that you can wear. All right. Tip number six here is to, is basically the stance that you use when you shoot. No oh boy, I'm going to get in trouble here too. All right. So I know there's like the weaver, there's the isosceles, there's all these different stances that people have that they use. What I tell people to do is to basically pretend that you're going to punch a person in front of you. I tell them, go ahead. If I, if you were to strike me right now and I'm in front of you, go ahead, get, go ahead and get in position. No gun allowed. Like you are going to fight me. And they usually get in some sort of like boxer stance or some martial arts stance or whatever. Whatever feels comfortable to them that they feel like they've got a solid base there. I say that right there is your shooting stance. Now, the reason why I say that is because in an ambush, you are most likely not going to be able to get into your horse stance 
uh, you know, where you're going to be have your both feet parallel and you're and this is the way that you've been taught how to shoot and this feels like the best. You're going to be fighting. A gunfight really is a fight. Most attacks happen in the distance of nine feet or less. So most likely your body is going to want to get into a position where it's ready to fight. It's going to be a natural thing for you. So if that's how you're going to typically fight anyway, or, or, or yeah, fight, then that's also where you want to train in how you shoot. I get it. Everybody's been taught different ways. I get it. But we just call it fighter stance, okay? So if that's going to be how you're positioned anyway, you better learn how to shoot from that position as well. All right, number seven here is to practice one-handed shooting. I tell people that this is really where the basis of your shooting should really come from. This is where you should really be focusing most of your training on because studies of real gunfights and videos have shown that about 72% of the time, that number really just does come from the number of videos viewed and the number of people that have been have been shooting this way. But 72% of the time that you will um, that you're going to use only one hand in a real gunfight anyway. Now, when you watch a lot of these videos, you're going to see that if it's in a convenience store, sometimes people are shooting over the shelves. Um, it could be in a situation where somebody is holding on to a desk in a in a workplace environment. I've seen all of these different things happen. It might be where you're fighting somebody off or you might have your your child's hand. It might be you're guiding your spouse behind you. It might be that you're opening up a door to your in in your house. It might be that there's lots of situations where you're going to need one hand to do something while your other hand is there to shoot. So I recommend that people do practice one-hand shooting. You could also be injured. Um, a lot of these different things can happen where you're reduced only to one hand. So if that's going to happen in what we've found to be a majority of the time, then you may as well practice it, right? So can you do one-handed shooting? And I'm talking about more like point shooting because obviously you're going to be at a distance. If you're if you're not using two hands, it's most likely because you're at a distance where you're, you're going to be using your other hand for something else. So it's going to be point shooting at that point. I'm not talking about like one-handed marksmanship shooting. All right, number eight here is to train with your self-defense ammunition. This is something that it really kind of... Um, it kind of confuses me why people, most people don't do that. Now, I get it. Ammunition is expensive and even just training ammunition. And so getting in your range time that's out there, I know that you, you don't want to waste money and you don't want to use your, your personal defense rounds because they're even more expensive than the training ammunition. But you don't know that your self-defense ammo is going to really work unless you actually put it through the gun. Not all ammunition feeds the same in some of these handguns that are out there. Some some will, you know, some handguns themselves are are better than others in in what they'll accept as ammunition, but you don't know until you know, right? So you want to train with your self-defense ammunition. Now, I used a, I was out in Colorado, we were at a training event and one of my friends had the uh, the Sig uh, Sour Mosquito, it's a 22 caliber handgun. It was his favorite gun. And he was an avid concealed carry guy, and it was the first time I'd shot it, and it was a lot of fun shooting it. In fact, I bought one myself when I got home, and then I took it out to the range, and I brought the ammunition with me and shot around and went to go pull the trigger again, and it didn't 
actually even chamber the next round. Then I thought, oh, what, what, so what's wrong with this? Tried it again, and it, you know, racked the slide, extracted the the first round, put chambered another round in there, shot it again, and there it was. One, it was a one, one shot semi-automatic handgun. Couldn't figure out why. Turns out, it needed a lot more uh, grains of, it needed a lot more pressure there from the round itself. It needed a, it needed a a more powerful 22 round to be able to bring that slide back and chamber another round. Well, you need to know how your self-defense ammunition is going to perform inside of your handgun. Are you getting stoppages? Are you are is it jamming the gun? Is it extracting well? You need to make sure that this thing is going to run your ammunition. The only way to do that is to actually use it. So take it to the range and put it to some good use there. All right. All right, number 9 is to get legal training when it comes to personal defense. So listen, most gun owners I talk to even experienced gun owners have no clue what their personal legal responsibility is with their handgun. They've been brought up on chest-thumping myths that are out there about what they should do, could do, would do when it comes to drawing out their smoke wagon and, 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 and taking somebody out. I just went for my, uh, I just when I moved to Florida, I went for my concealed carry class and on the last day, the instructor was asking everybody, so you know, while we're getting all the paperwork done here, go ahead and let me know why did you take this class? Why did you take the concealed carry class? And so everybody kind of went around the room and they were sharing their stories. And for the most part, the people that were there, it it was for like, for example, one, there was one woman that was there that she wanted to get her concealed carry license because a guy across the street was kind of creeping her out because she would get home from work, she'd get out of her car, and this guy was just watching her all the time. And she figured that if she showed him a gun, that she would actually be able to stop him from creeping her out. Apparently, she wasn't paying much attention. And actually, a lot of these concealed carry classes don't really go into as many of the legal responsibilities that you have with your gun as they do. I've told people about my, the class that I had in Texas when I got my concealed carry license. Like very little uh, instruction was put into the laws. More of it was put onto why we need to protect the Second Amendment, which wasn't even like part of the, the length of the curriculum that they had there. They spent way too much time on that and no real time to tell people when they could actually even use their gun. So listen... I, I, say, I tell people, like, don't even just rely on your concealed carry class. There's lots of great, uh, like, Law of Self-Defense, Andrew Bronca is, is an attorney out that's out there. He's got some great information out there. Masad Ayub does a monthly column in most of the combat handgun magazines that are out there about the legal use of a, of a weapon. These are all based upon real-life stories. And so you need to continue your own education and get legal training. There's a lot of good resources out there, and I'll go ahead and put a link down into the show notes for this episode that you can find that there. All right, and number 10 finally here is to plan your range training, and I hardly see anybody doing this whatsoever. When I go to the range, I see everybody doing the exact same thing. They put the the target out there, paper target, and they put it out there, and they're just trying to get the tightest shot group that they possibly can with their with their one to two second intervals that the, that the gun range is making them shoot at. And look, your range training really is this, just there to reinforce your dry fire training. 
you should be doing drive. This was one of the commandments. This one I do make a commandment because most people are not going to get to the range enough to be proficient with their handgun. You do need to make it go bang, but most of your training, the vast majority, about 80% of your training should be done with dry fire at home with no ammunition, whether you're using your regular, your regular carry gun, making sure that there is no ammunition in it, that there's no ammunition in the gun, in the magazine, it's not in the same room, it's on Mars, whatever, you know, all the safety precautions that you want to take, use them. It could be with an airsoft gun. There's lots of different ways that you can do dry fire training. But that is where the majority of your training goes because you can do a little bit over time and be and get much more proficient than you can by just going to the range once a week, once a month, taking a tactical class, whatever. You're going to get much more, more proficient at home. But then you take those skills and that's when you go to the range. That is how you save money on, on, uh, on ammunition is you don't go there and practice with that ammunition unless it is to reinforce what you've already done back at home. All right. Now, there is a, a way that you can uh, the, the types of things that you should plan in. If you're wondering how to do dry fire training, I recommend that you go to praxisclass.com where I have done a uh, it's a free class that we do that I, I did with Mike Ox. And it shows you basically the shortcut for getting the best dry fire training. And in fact, you can you can practice with six skills at the same time. We show you how to do it. It's actual training that you can do during the class. There, you can you know, we explain how to do it. And um, but that's praxisclass.com. That's a great introduction to the praxis method. That's there. All right. Okay. Well, those are my ten suggestions for your concealed carry self-protection plan, all right? But I'd like to hear from you. What are some things that maybe aren't commandments, but you've learned over the years in your own experience, in your own training, that you think people that carry concealed are kind of missing out on? What are the tactics? What are the training tips that you have? Go ahead and leave something in the comments where you see this episode for this podcast episode, or you can go on over to warriorlifetips.com. And if you leave them there and we use them in one of our multimedia channels, our YouTube channel, our podcast, then we will reward you for the tip that you give there. All right. So that's warriorlifetips.com. And until our next episode of the Warrior Life Podcast, this is Jeff Anderson saying prepare, train, and survive. You've been listening to the Warrior Life Podcast. We hope you've enjoyed the show. You can help us spread the mission of self-reliance and self-protection when you rate us. And leave us a comment wherever you enjoy these podcasts. And don't forget to check out our posts and videos on our social media channels. You'll see a full directory when you visit our website at www.warriorlife.com. We'll see you next time. This has been the Warrior Life Podcast. Prepare. Train. Survive.